Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com. America's Voice. You can give us a call today at 866-472-5788. I do positive living because I really believe, and I do it on voiceamerica.com, because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now. So do I, and that's why I'm here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive principles to help you live happy, empowered, and successful lives. And again, the listener line is 866-472-5788. We are here on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific, and we'll be broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. My guest today is Dr. Miroslav Volf. He's the director of the Yale Center of Faith and Culture and the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School. And he's written many, many books And his newest book is Giving and Forgiving, and the title is Free of Charge. And the subtitle of this really great book is Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. Welcome, Dr. Wolf. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, um, you know, the, the title of this book, actually, you could ask a million questions just from the title because it really says it all, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. Um, it's a phrase which, again, we connect with. Why do you think we so rarely identify with this kind of less than optimistic description, even though this is positive living, we'll try to turn it around? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it, it, it is. Uh, my intention, of course, uh, and the title of the book is a positive, uh, positive one in order to counter some of the, uh, I think, negative trends in our culture. And one of those negative trends is, is a kind of uh, underlying feeling that, um, that a sense of grace, sense of generosity, uh, is we, we're losing something of that. Um, mm-hmm. We're losing the ability mm-hmm. to give maybe just a little bit more than we mm-hmm. expect to receive. And yet I think that much of our personal, much of our cultural flourishing, much of our personal and cultural happiness depends precisely on that. It's interesting because um, I've lived in big cities, and for the past 12 years I've lived in a small community on coast, in the coastal uh, southern coast, the east coast, and I absolutely love it. And, you know, people have said to me, well, why don't you consider going to the big city where there's more action? But I don't because there is such community and spirit here that I don't see when I go to a lot of big cities. I see a lot of rudeness. I see people who just, you know, blast out on their cell phones when you're standing right there and, and don't really care. Where here I feel that people are still very kind to each other. Now, um, I'd like you to comment on that, and maybe is that just in small cities or small towns, or can that be anywhere? Well, I think we can, we can practice that anywhere. I think we have unlearned that. I think we have partly unlearned that because we see ourselves uh, as individuals disconnected from our neighbors and our fellow citizens. We see ourselves as individuals who are concerned 
only for our own well-being, who are concerned only to maximize our own profits. And if that happens for us, then obviously I will not care whether my conversation bothers you or not. I'm going to converse, whatever happens Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you somehow feel that your own uh, happiness and well-being is intertwined with mine, that I'm a social being, neighborly being, I think I will be more likely to take your interests into account. Mm-hmm. So, what, um, what, why is this happening? Is it because of all the world fighting, and what do you think we can do? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the question is, it's interesting, why is this happening? And, uh, you know, you can, you can probably analyze it uh, in, in different ways for, for, for different reasons. Uh, for instance, why is it that, um, that, that this uh, uh, market-driven um, mentality is spreading to areas where it has uh, never been before? You know, I think, for instance, of, um, of medical field. Um, how it's difficult now to have a doctor of the classical old kind mm-hmm. who would attend to you, who will take you as an individual. You've got seven minutes with your doctor. Whatever is wrong with mm-hmm. you, you've got to go through this. It's almost like you're on assembly line. Mm-hmm. And if you ask why, uh, often the, the bottom line is the response to that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think sometimes our educational institutions, we are overburdened by them. And yet we know that um, to be a good doctor, you need to give and not just want to earn. Mm-hmm. To be a good educator, uh, you need to give and not just want to make uh, make a buck. And that's really what what I think is being lost. You know, yeah. I always give an example of my my son's piano teacher, and I think we pay her, and we pay her, I think, relatively well. But what she gives to him by the fact that she loves music, that she loves him, mm-hmm. and that she knows and is putting a great deal of effort how to connect the two. Uh, is more than we could ever pay. And every good teacher is precisely that. Every good public servant is that. Every good Mm -hmm. doctor is that, and so forth. Well, yeah, and I again, I come back to where I live. I mean, and that's one of the reasons that I really don't want to move. My doctors are my friends. They give me the time. Everyone, all the service providers I work with, just give me tremendous personal treatment. I've done a lot in the community, but even so, it's uh, it's still we still have that special old-fashioned spirit here yeah. that I I really think you know we need to have elsewhere. So let's give some advice. I, I'm, there's many more questions to ask you about your own background and about you know fighting in the world, which we have to discuss in terms of what's really happening. But what advice do you give to people who want that kind of community but are living in places that don't offer that to them? Well, I think uh, I think we can look for people who who, who will provide support for us in these uh, in, in these way if we seek to live in these ways. I think also that there's something uh, uh, you know I'm I'm a Christian I'm a theologian and so I looked a look at that uh, issue from also a religious perspective. I think there's also something to rediscovering anew that um, at the foundation of reality. Uh, that the character of the God, of, of, of God is the one of generosity. And if I think that to live in sync with the ultimate reality, to live in sync with the way both the Creator is and I as a creature am made to be, mm-hmm. I need to be generous, uh, I need to be kind, I need to be giving. Uh, when I think of in those terms, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm expanded, I'm opened up. 
I'm not I haven't uh, uh, this this tendency to frivol into my own sphere of interest. I think is broken up, and that's what we need to do. We need a kind of vision that would take us out of ourselves simply into something larger than we are. Mm-hmm. So I think what you're saying is, if you have that philosophy in that belief system, you can find it wherever you are. You can find it in some places. You may struggle more than than in the other places because everything around you, whole social life, is organized around a different set of uh, values. Mm-hmm. Whatever people really claim with their mouth, where their values are, but then you can you can find people who will support the whole way of life that you want to live. And I hope that even in this small way, it could be waves that spread out. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this. My guest is Dr. Miroslav Volf. His new book is Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. This is the Archbishop's official 2006 Lent book. Miroslav Volf is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and the director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Grammaire Award in Religion. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leah Dama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Did you know the young adult generation, otherwise known as the Echo Boomers, born between the late 1970s and 1995, number 78 million in our population? They are responsible and drink less, smoke less, do fewer drugs, and commit less crime than previous generations. Advocating America's Young Adult with hosts Chloe White and Charlie Fairchild aggressively addresses the current and cutting-edge issues affecting the young adult. It is a world of inherent unfairness for this age group, and the situation continues to deteriorate. The time for meaningful change has arrived. And our Advocating America's Young Adult is here to make an impact. Tune into Advocating America's Young Adult with host Chloe White and Charlie Fairchild. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on VoiceAmericaRadio.com. Visit our website at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. West Coast Business Reviews, show me the business, connecting you to the business world. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Tricia Raskin. You can call us on the listener line, which is 866-472-5788. Positive Living is on voiceamerica.com on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. My guest today is Dr. Miroslav Volf. He's the author of the new book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. This was the Archbishop's official 2006 Lent book. Miroslav Falls is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and Director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Graham Mayer Award in Religion. Welcome back, Dr. Wolf. Thank you. All right, let's, um, let me ask you this question that I asked you during the break. It's a tough question, but it's something I'd like you to address and maybe give us some hope, and that is that it seems to me that a lot of the fighting in the world today is based on religion. I mean, if you look at the Palestinian and Israeli situation, if you look at, of course, um, you know, the situation that we have with Iraq, and even now the situation that we're having, um, I guess the question is, this seems to all be under the, um, the zealousy, if, if that's a word, of God and of religion and of faith, and people are killing each other every single day. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I'm a religious person, and for me um, uh, to observe uh, core religionists, uh, whatever faith they uh, espouse, uh, to be a promoters of violence is a is a very painful uh, painful thing. But it is uh, it is the case that very often uh, religion and religions are implicated in uh, conflict. I think I want to draw attention also that most of these conflicts, and just all of them, I think, have many dimensions. I come from uh, Croatia, and our, my country has gone through um, bloodshed in uh, recent years, recent decade, and religion has been one factor, one of many factors in this whole uh, in this whole conflict. And I think we, uh, though, though we shouldn't uh, excuse religion or take it out completely. On the other hand, I don't think we should uh, put the whole burden of it. When, they are, when people ask me, what is it that is being, what's, what's at stake in former Yugoslavia as people are struggling? Well, I said, they said, is it religion? Is it land? Is it economics? Is it language? And I said, all of the above. <laughs> religion is one important, uh, one factor, uh, certainly important one. Um, and I think that each of the religions, uh, has capacity to be used uh, and misused uh, to, for fomenting violence, and at the same time that it has important resources to provide us with a culture of peace to sustain us in peaceful living. And what I am, I suppose, as a religious person, most furious at is at the skill of warmongers and politicians mm-hmm. to use religious sensibilities and convictions of people uh, in some of the most base uh, attempts at land grab and economic mm-hmm. power and so forth. And it's, it's this misuse and the openness of people to be misused yeah. that troubles me the most. Well, you know, and the hatred and violence between the Muslims and the Christians continues to escalate. And again, the resulting terrorism on both sides just doesn't seem to have an end. So what are the keys to neutralizing this explosive situation, and what do we need to learn about giving and forgiving that would help us to bring an end to this conflict? 
You know, I, you know, I can speak as a Christian, uh, and uh, I, I hope that something similar could be said from the Muslim side, but it's for the Muslim side to say that uh, I think what we need to do first as Christians, I think we need to uh, be constantly purifying ourselves, so to speak, and keeping uh, putting our house in order. Uh, when one looks in this country, uh, there, there, are, there are many wars going on between various Christian, Christian groups on the left and on the right, and when I speak to these various groups, I, I say it looks to me like both of you have betrayed something that is absolutely essential to the very center of Christian faith, and that is that one can disagree, that one can disagree indeed strenuously about some really important issues in life, but that one has an obligation to be benevolent, beneficent, to love, as we say, even our enemy. And I think Christian uh, tradition uh, has to return itself to its own uh, to its own roots mm-hmm. in that sense, uh, so that generosity is not only something that I show to those who I particularly like, but generosity is something that I show to every human being, indeed even human being who happens not to wish my own well-being. Yeah, yeah. Turn the other cheek. Um, that's right. While at the same time not becoming a doormat in the process, mm-hmm. uh, and w- and we, we want to make sure that the questions of justice are attended to. And yet we all know that if we simply continue the cycle of violence, uh, when one uh, cheek is uh, hit, uh, then you hit the other one's cheek. Uh, pretty soon uh, the cheeks are going to be red, and the rest of the body bruised too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In your book, you focus on two of the fundamental practices and the foundational practices of Christianity and and lifestyle, which is learning how to give and forgive. So what is important to know about that, particularly about God the giver in all of this? Well, I I think for me the key is how we understand uh, God. Um, And uh, very often people understand God as a very kind of negotiator. They make deals with God, bargains with God. They want something for God. God's going to do something for them, and here, here they are. They're completely in control, and they want to manipulate God into serving them, and um, end up uh, truly disappointed because God, uh, if God truly exists, doesn't need anything uh, from us. Uh, God is indeed the giver, and we ought not to think of ourselves uh, as somehow negotiating deals with God. God is uh, fundamentally a giver. And though in everyday life we negotiate in many ways, and it's appropriate for us to negotiate, we also ought to express in our living that dimension of, of who God is, namely generosity. Mm. What do you say to skeptics who really like the beautiful picture that you paint of the Christian life and of life, but won't take the step of faith that your book, Free of Charge, invites them because they just can't quite believe that it's well, uh, I suppose I would first say to the skeptic, you know, I understand your reaction. Sometimes when I observe the world, it seems to me that um, uh, when we talk about generosity and giving, when we talk about God as a giver and generous giver, that seems more like a fairy tale than a reality. And yet at the same time, uh, when I think more deeply about issues, it seems to me that uh, the, the life of giving and life of forgiving, which all of us experience, I think, as a beautiful life, as, as something that's attractive. And when we see examples of people who manifest it, we are moved deep down. There's somehow almost like there is a generous and forgiving chord in us, string in us. When we see an example of generosity or forgiveness, it, it resonates very deeply uh, with us. 
And then I would say, in order for you to be able to live in that way, uh, try to walk that way a bit. And maybe in the midst of a life well lived, you may be able to find uh, and rediscover the God who is a giver and God who is a forgiver. But I want, I want. Um, so you think set the example. I, I think I think set the example, and I, I think for those of us who uh, those of us maybe who don't believe, uh, but find the way of life attractive, live that way of life, right? And uh, and maybe God will find you, even if you cannot find God. I sometimes think that we too much we, we, uh, we speak too much about us finding God and us believing in God. I think from the other side, things are also it's important to see things from the other side, and, and much more important. In many ways, I don't think that I have found God. In many ways, I think that God has found me. Mm. And that releases, I think, me from trying to somehow shove God down the throats of anybody. Mm-hmm. I can trust that if there is God, God who loves humanity, that God will be found, that God mm-hmm. will found the one, uh, found uh, find us, and then take us into uh, the kind of life that God wants us to live. Mm. I assume you teach students at Yale. I do, yeah. I teach and college students and, uh, and divinity school students, which are, who are graduate students. Well, I think I'm going to save this for after the break, but I'm going to ask you some questions about what your students are troubled by, what they deal with, what answers they're seeking, and how you've seen them work through those. Sounds but good. really, yeah, I'd really like to find out about that because you're part of this. You're at the heart of helping other people spread the word of the ministry as well, and that's what they study. And so you hear what their concerns are. And so that's what I'd like to talk about after we take a break. My guest today is Dr. Miroslav Volf, and he's the author of the new book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. This book has been the Archbishop's official 2006 Lent book. Dr. Wolf is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and Director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Gray Mare Award in Religion. And one of the things on the back of the book says, We are at our human best when we give and forgive, but we live in a world in which it makes little sense to do either one. So that's what we're talking about is how can we do that and keep our forgiveness and forgiveness even in a world that sometimes doesn't promote that. So folks, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Remember, this show is on Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and it's rebroadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. All the shows are archived on the Voice America site, voiceamerica.com, and you can get a link to that on my site, raskinresources.com. Again, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to raskinresources.com. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. Have you put down the morning paper in disgust because they weren't reporting what you wanted to read? 
Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Reichgott Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media, like how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Reichgott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation. So join us for the Ember Reichgott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com. Hello, this is Rory Garay, president of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice voiceamerica.com Expand love and light in the universe. Tune into Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True with Iris Jackson every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Each week, Iris and her guests empower, encourage, affirm, acknowledge, and remind us of who we really are, providing tools and processes to fulfill our destiny passionately, victoriously, and joyously. Miracles Happen, Dreams Do Come True is under the guidance and direction of our beloved I Am Presence, the seven mighty Elohim, the ascended masters, and the legions of light, and is given with fervent and heartfelt wishes that all of your dreams come true and are a thousand times more wonderful than you ever dreamed possible. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Rathbun. We're here on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. My guest today is Dr. Merce Lovolf. He is the author of the new book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace, which is the Archbishop's official 2006 Lent book. Merce Lovolf is a Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School, and director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Graham Meyer Award in Religion. Welcome back, Dr. Volk. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's answer the question I asked you right before the end of the break that we didn't have uh, time to go into, and that is that you're a professor of divinity. You teach students who are going to be future theologians, and obviously they have questions they're searching. What is it you hear most from your students what is it they're grappling with, and what are they trying to do? Well, most of my students, I think, are studying um, theology, whether that's the main subject of their study or whether they take courses in, in religion, because they're on some some kind of a search, some kind of a search, spiritual search, and uh, it, it becomes a search for meaning. How do I live a life that adds up to something? 
that is not taken up simply in spinning in circles around myself and expanding and expanding my own ego, either by acolytes that I receive from others or by stuff that I call my own. Um, how do I learn how to contribute to the larger public good? Uh, many are moved by these questions. Um, other um, students ask the question, you know, what about the problem of evil uh, in this world? Um, they say, if I don't believe in God, it seems to me that uh, evil becomes meaningless and I simply have to acquiesce to it. On the other hand, if I believe in a good God, how come he allows this thing? Uh, so it's a, it's a struggle in order to, um, well, almost in the face of the reality of this world, with who God is and who they are in relationship uh, to God. Um, many of them come with a strong religious convictions, and they want to understand deeper and better. Uh, many of them come uh, with the questions, uh, well, I know roughly what I believe, but what I don't know is how what I believe connects with the, the rest of my life. Uh, or rest of the life of my parishioners. They work uh, on Mondays or Friday. Uh, does faith have anything to say about that, about uh, their work day? Does faith have anything to say about uh, their leisure, uh, about music and arts and so forth? Uh, and so there's a whole world. How does one live in the world and see the world through the eyes of faith? Those are some of the very important questions. And what do you encourage them to do to get their answers? Well, I, what I encourage them to uh, to do, and I think that's what uh, that, that's the job of a, of a theologian, um, and um, not everybody shares that view, but that's the one that I share, uh, that I uh, espouse, and that is to try to see the world as a whole, almost like from the vantage point of its relationship uh, to God, and it's only I think when we see the world as God's creation that we can truly discover the beauty. Of, uh, of the world and the goodness of the world. That the world is not simply a stuff that's there, um, but it's, that, that in some sense is, is good. Um, I think um, that uh, only if in some sense we believe that there is uh, there's a God that we um, believe that it's worth giving more mm-hmm. than we expect to receive. Uh, and what, so do you, what do you say to your students who are made from other countries and are seeing tremendous fighting or they've lost loved ones yeah. over world fighting or personal loss. What what do you say to them who may come to you discouraged and disheartened? Yeah, and and um, and, and many are, and I myself am often uh, such a person as you uh, as you describe. Um, yeah, I I tell them um, uh, don't suppress your feelings. Feelings mm-hmm. often of anger against God, anger against the world, mm-hmm. which is set up the way in which it's set up. You know, tsunami comes and innocent people, innocent mm-hmm. children right. are just swept and they're gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, families torn apart, lives taken away. It's just incredible. You know, in my own life, my brother was killed when he was five years old. Mm-hmm. And we've lived with that wound in our mm-hmm. family uh, all of our lives. Uh, and so, uh, basically, I tell people, don't suppress that. Uh, argue with God, <laughs> if need be. Uh, but at the same time, I tell them, uh, and I tell myself, you know, we we uh, we believe in a God uh, who is not far and aloof, who is with us uh, when we suffer the most, mm-hmm. uh, so that God knows what we feel and knows our our pain, 
uh, and we can hope also in that kind of a God. See, my, my sense about the problem of evil in the world, I'm, I'm sort of caught there, because on the one hand, if I don't believe in God, I think, well, tsunamis come, and they swipe away uh, hundreds of, uh, of thousands of, uh, of people. What's there to protest about? Mm-hmm. That's what tectonic plates do when they shift, and uh, you can't expect anything else. So I can rebel against the world or protest against the world in which innocent people die of natural disasters mm-hmm. only if I expect that the world should be a better place. But how do I expect the world to be a better place if I don't believe in the Creator who created the world to be good? Mm-hmm. So I need the, the belief in God in order to protest against the world. And yet if I believe in God, I protest against God who doesn't do anything. I often find myself saying, but why do you just sit up there and do nothing? Well, so and many what's the answer to that, though? The answer is that God is not, isn't not doing nothing. God is doing things. Exactly. That, that's the answer. And the answer, answer is also that God will do uh, something. The right? uh, answer is that God will uh, redeem. So we can, we can see God with us as we suffer. We can see God giving helping hand in our own helping hands. Mm-hmm. And we believe in God um, who will... You know, as, a, as a one, one great Jewish thinker has said immediately after World War II, Max Horkheimer, in a, in a marvelous little book, uh, which in English translation reads, uh, The Longing for the One Who is Radically Different, namely Longing for, the one, for, for God. He has said, uh, you need some kind of belief in God in order to ensure that the torturer will not eternally triumph over his victims. Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe also uh, in, in, in God's quote-unquote judgment in a day in which uh, it will be made plain who the victimizer was, who the victim was, and victims will be vindicated, remembered, vindicated, held dearly by God. Mm-hmm. So basically what you're saying you know, to your students and to yourself is, yes, we have to grieve over this. But that doesn't mean we stop believing. You know, that it, it, it just means that this is what happens. And when people come to you and say, well, and I'm sure you hear this all the time because you, this is the main argument, is, well, if there's really a God, why does God let this happen? Exactly, exactly. No, and I, I, say, uh, I say ultimately we don't know the answer to the question of why. Uh, I am, uh, I am uh, betting that in the end we will know the answer. But right now, you know, what does the person who is in a hospital uh, uh, or bedridden need? Does he need a doctor to explain to him how he became or she became ill? Or does he need a doctor to heal the person? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think uh, all of us want to be healed, even if some, we would like to know why it is that we are sick. But if you ask me to choose between the two, I'll go for healing over understanding. And in a sense, that's what we ultimately even now expect. We need. We expect from God to be helped, not necessarily to understand, as we hope that we will understand one day. Yeah. Well, um, that's. It, it's. These are tough concepts. These are not easy concepts. That, that's that's true. That's true. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, in our culture, we we often we, we struggle with those, but maybe not. Do, not have enough patience. Our culture is so fast-moving. We, we live in a culture in which we 
almost like like a, like sitting in a train which is moving very fast through a landscape, and we don't have time to dwell on things, to uh, to wrestle with things. And though these issues come to the forefront of our attention in certain times, we don't take time to wrestle uh, with them. And I think we would do well if we did. Yeah. Do you think that our problems are greater than they were in years past, the same, different? Do you think this is just part of the way the universe is? What do you think? Uh, you, you mean you mean in general that the, the, in the, general, the evil I mean, has in, increased? Uh, yes, in, yes. You know, I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not. Uh, I don't believe either that we are regressing or that we are particularly on the whole progressing. It would seem to me that there are areas in which we are progressing. For instance, technological advances are absolutely extraordinary. But as a consequence of technological advances, possibility of harm and dependence on that technology is is extraordinary. So we both uh, make a step forward, and we potentially make a step backward. Uh, We resolve some problems by initiate uh, other kinds of issues. And so I think that our problems are rather than they're changing, they're shifting. Some are becoming much more serious. Others are being removed. For instance, many of the uh, illnesses which people have uh, been dying when uh, when they were small children, uh, we have resolved them. So I celebrate those things. But as, as I mourn about other things that um, that we are unable to resolve and that come in the wake of the very progress that we are creating. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more to Miroslav Falls about his book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace, which is the Archbishop's official 2006 one book. Dr. Miroslav Falls is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and the Director of Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Graham Meyer Award in Religion. And you can call us at 866-472-5788. Um, Dr. Wolf, do you have a website for people to go to? Yes, you can uh, You can look at yale.edu slash faith. Okay, yale.edu slash faith. Slash faith, okay. All right, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. 
Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com. everyone, we're back. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. My guest is Dr. Miroslav Wolf. He's the author of the new book, Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace, which is the Archbishop's official 2006 Lent book. Miroslav Wolf is the Henry B. Wright Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and Director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. His book, Exclusion and Embrace, won the 2002 Grand Meyer Award in Religion. And at the back of this book, there's a title here that says, We are at our human best when we forgive and give, but we live in a world in which it either it makes little sense to do either one. So let's talk about some forgiveness and forgiveness stories, Dr. Volf, that, that give us inspiration and hope. Well, uh, for me, the foundational story in my, uh, my own pilgrimage uh, was uh, the story of the death of my um, five-year-old brother who was killed um, when he was playing with what he called his soldiers. Um, because we lived close to a small base. And, uh, in Croatia? In, that was in former Yugoslavia in Croatia. And uh, my nanny, who was uh, taking care of us, uh, simply didn't watch. He let, she let him slip uh, out of the courtyard where we were and didn't go after him. And he played with those uh, soldiers that him on uh, a bread-drawn, uh, uh, horse-drawn bread cart, uh, and um, uh, he was passing under a doorpost, uh, and his head got stuck between this uh, bread oh. cart and the doorpost, and he died on his way to the hospital. Mm. And, you know, I have a eight-year-old, and I have a three-year-old. I just cannot imagine mm. something like that happening. Um and uh, I was uh, always impressed by my parents' willingness to forgive, to forgive that soldier. Uh, indeed, my father has gone to comfort him in the hospital. Who was he? Was broken-hearted. The soldier was, of course, and he not just forgave him in the sense of uh, offering him comfort uh, for that. Um, uh, he didn't pursue any any punitive uh, measure against him. He made a two-day's journey in order to find him, in order to talk to him that, that, uh, and assure him that, uh, that they forgave him and that God also forgives him. Um, and this has, been a, this has been a story for, for me of both my father's and mother's deep pain. You know, every time my mother talks about it, she doesn't cry, but, but you can see a, a sadness that is almost too deep for tears uh, that is being expressed. Um, and at the same time, this extraordinary generosity on their part. 
even more beautiful, I think, what for me was, is this nanny of ours, who was, we were Croatians, and this nanny was a Serbian. You know, those were kind of arch enemies, even in the Second World War, and she lived with us, uh, kind of in-house uh, help. And uh, she was to be blamed, uh, very clearly. And, you know, I didn't even know about that. It didn't occur to me, because my parents, my mother, had forgiven her, and then, for 40 years, she did not even mention that she was partly to blame for the thing. And I thought, wow, what a gift of forgiveness to give to someone. Not even to mention that they have been forgiven. Uh-huh. And this woman was an angel of my childhood. She was wonderful to me. Uh, and she remained the beautiful and pure angel because my mother would protect her even from forgiven guilt. And uh-huh. to me, that, that, that spoke of immense uh, generosity of spirit which shaped also my own life in ways that I can hardly uh, measure. So how do you think, when you say it shaped your own life, can you give us an example of a situation which you might have handled differently if it wasn't for this experience? Well, you know, I I grew up in a a communist Yugoslavia, and uh, I grew up as a, a religious person, and religion was not very welcome. Uh, and uh, whether in school being ridiculed, ridiculed because I was a Christian, or probably some of my worst experiences was when I was in uh, constructed to a military service, and then the whole unit was organized around spying on me. And after they had a, maybe a foot uh, thick file, then the interrogations started, which lasted a month and a half to two months. I'm not exactly sure now of the time period in which I was threatened with eight years of prison and uh, all different techniques of interrogations have been Mm. used. And uh, I think that story of my parents' uh, forgiveness and generosity uh, served kind of as a backdrop in terms of how I should react to the situation. Uh, Of course, I was uh, not only fearful, but of course, I was also furious. And yet, at the same time, uh, during this this time, uh, and especially after, my question was, how do I remember what has happened? How do I react to what has happened to me as the one who wishes the good even to the perpetrator? And I don't think that would be possible had uh, my parents not lived the kind of life they did. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which probably in some way may have been instrumental in the work that you do. It, it has been. That's right. And so in a sense, uh, you, you see it's... Uh, it's the story, uh, and, and indeed for them, it was part of a larger pattern of life, uh, which then in some of my writings, I think it becomes, in a sense, almost like writing and giving theory for the way they lived. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift that my parents have uh, given me, so that I, as a theologian, I'm, I'm really an echo of their lives intellectual well, echo of their life. And the other thing I think that's very powerful is, you know, you're not coming at this from a sheltered, protected background. You were in the trenches, and your life was threatened, and so were your family. And so you're, you you know, you have the world perspective. You're in it. So, so you're not coming at it from some a monk being in a monastery, not understanding or being in it, if no. you know, see what I'm saying. No, that's right. That's right. It's, it's neither... Uh, Isolated from from the uh, from the harsh winds of life, uh, nor is it simply theorizing about uh, them. It, it really is. A, it, it's a. Uh, it was grown out of seed.
well lived does to us when we observe a life well lived. Mm-hmm. Very well done. What would you like our listeners to get from this interview? If they get nothing else, what is it you really want them to learn? You know, I would want um, the listeners, I would want all of us to make a very simple commitment that I will every day try to give at least a bit more than I expect to receive. Mm. Whether that's uh, when I encounter somebody who needs help or whether that is when I have been wronged and I need to relate to the one who has wronged me. I think our world would be blossoming if each of us every day practiced that simple rule. It's not a great heroic giving, you know, the great sacrifice that mesmerizes and impresses everyone. Mm. It is kind of an everyday giving, just a bit more than I expect to receive. Um, anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Well, my, you know, I, I, I should leave uh, leave you also with um, some words of, of a theologian, which is what I am. And to me, this kind of life makes sense only if we see ourselves as connected to a generous mm-hmm. God. If we mm-hmm. see ourselves that our lives are we, we are not a bundle of uh, energy, a bundle of energy and matter uh, swirling around ourselves and seeking simply to promote our own pleasure and our own well-being. We have been placed into this world with a purpose. We have been placed into the world uh, by a generous God who wants us to echo in our own lives God's own generosity. Mm-hmm. And it's to become the echo of God's generosity, I think that's the highest we as human beings can mm. aspire. Thank you so much. Beautiful interview. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Stay on the line. Thank you. Folks, next week, my guest is Scott Hagwood, the current U.S. National Memory Champion and the first and only American Grand Master of Memory. He will discuss his new book, Memory Power, You Can Develop a Great Memory, America's Grandmaster shows you how. You can log on to scotthagwood.com. Remember that this program is on the Internet on voiceamerica.com. You can listen to the archive shows for Positive Living by going to Voice America or logging on to the host name, which is Patricia Raskin, and the shows will come up. You can go to my website, raskinresources.com, and my book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, is available. I'm, it's now in revision. And again, it's an honor and pleasure to be with you each week and, and to bring you such inspirational guests. Until then, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great day. You've been listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.